Welcome back to Gabble. As always, I'm Jonathan. And I'm Don. Today we are back again. Don, what are we talking about? Well, a lady's favorite hobby, or almost favorite hobby, shopping. Okay, and well, it sounds like a little, sounds a little chauvinistic of uh, you, Don. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay. So, All ladies uh, must like shopping. Oh, uh, well, probably not, but many, many. I, I have a question for you okay, to start, and that is, what does the Civil War, a tattoo, the Titanic ship, and shopping have in common? No idea. Good. Just stay tuned. You're fixing to find oh. out. Oh, we're tying all those in. Mm. So um, our, uh, today our, our topic is going to be speaking of two primary characters. Okay. The first primary character is going to be a man by the name of Roland H. Macy Sr. And then I believe we're also going to be talking quite a bit about a man by the name of J.C. Penny. Oh, yeah, I got him. Yeah, you're right. Okay, so... You happen to be right, Don. I don't know how you know these things. (laughs) Brilliant. Wow. Okay. So, where do we start? I think probably the best way to start or best place to start would be to start in 1838. Okay. um, When Roland H. Macy was a 15-year-old, he ran away from home. He had lived in Nantucket, Massachusetts. And so he runs away from Massachusetts to join a whaling ship. And uh, at the time of our story, he is at um, the Cape Horn in Chile. And he's only five foot one. He's 120 pounds. He's just a little, oh, little guy. Just a little guy. And, um, you know, slightly bigger than me. Well, okay. All right. I'm, I'm bigger than that, I guess. But he's sitting there in the bottom of the ship, and as he's sitting there, all of his friends and and even some fellow family members that are on this whaling ship begin to make fun of him. And the reason they're making fun of him is because of his small— so young and so small. Yeah, his small stature and all of that. Runs away from home. Doesn't he trade work for passage? I think you're right. Yes. So he decides that to make himself look tougher, he is going to get the North Star— in red, tattooed upon his on his hand or wrist. Oh yeah, because when you're 15, nothing says I'm a man like getting a tattoo. Like getting a tattoo. Okay, that's right. So he. But this is 1838. Yes. Okay. So think about the difference in how getting a tattoo. I I've never had a tattoo. I don't have one now. Me neither. But, but think about the difference in getting a tattoo in this day as compared to getting a tattoo in 1838. Yeah, there I doubt their medical understanding was yeah, it was any to, good. It had to be a terrible experience. <laughs> but uh, he he gets this tattoo. Now, this tattoo um, lives on even today. And the way it lives on today and we'll explore this more is it would eventually become the logo for one of the largest department stores in the world. It's the red star of Macy's. Yes. So um, basically, since we're going to be talking about this and I'm 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 jumping ahead and I know we're going to you're going to insert a bunch of stuff here as well. But I want us to kind of explore, you know, we're so used to shopping today and the way it's done via, you know, technology and and mobile. Yeah. uh, Online devices and all of that. But. I remember even as a as a kid, and I'm not that old, but I remember 
how big of a deal it was to go to department stores. Department stores really had a, they had everything, and they were they were kind of a place of entertainment. So well, yeah, they're almost always not almost always, but a lot of times they were attached to malls. Yes. So you had the mall to walk around in. Yeah, it was. Then a, you had it was kind of a place. The of, department stores on on all the corners. Yes, it was a place of leisure at times. So back in the 1930s and the 1940s, um, they were the center of both fashion and adventure. So a department store would put on a circus inside of it or maybe out. In oh, the, yeah, you that's know. right. P.T. Barnum would actually have circus events inside uh, in, department in, stores. Inside department stores. That's right. Um, Amelia Earhart uh, was actually, she was like, a, a, obviously, a celebrity, you know, one of the first women to, to fly. And they would bring her in almost like a, a celebrity signing kind of type deal where she would come in and greet the Interact with people at the department store. Yes, they would have ancient artwork, and and it would be – so it was one of those places that fashion and adventure and family life, other than the home, kind of centered around. So it's kind of – it's just an interesting um, dynamic of how shopping has changed. Right. The community centers and the event centers were all department stores around this time. Yes, so the story that, that we'd like to tell today starts in May of 1845, unless you have a, a time period that's before that. No, I'm, I'm spot on with you. 1838, he was on the ship, and he opens up his store in, was it 1835? 1845. 45. Yeah, he, so he, he goes on this whaling adventure and realizes, hey, whaling He does is- that for four years, and then he makes it back, so now he's 19, and he, then... He makes it back to Massachusetts at this time? Yes, and he realizes, this is not for me. Whaling was not my thing. He had earned $500 in those four years. And so he, in Boston, decides that he is going to, or maybe it was Nantucket, I can't remember exactly. He decides that he is going to open a dry goods store. And so he opens that up, and one day he begins to count. After two years, he counts up all of his receipts and all of his expenditures, and he realizes that he's worked the last two years for nothing. Wow. He's earned absolutely zero. Well, not only that, but didn't he spend all $500 that he earned over the last two years or four years? That's exactly it. Man. So he's basically broke. And then somehow he is able to invest $500, another $500 uh, that I think was borrowed, he invests that in a needle and thread business. Right. Yeah. What happened is his family felt sorry for him because he was so young. And I think he had a lot of brothers. He had something like 11 brothers. Wow. But only seven of them made it to adult life. So a lot of them passed away. Okay. And then his family felt sorry for him, the, you know, the older members. So they lent him some money. Okay. So he starts that he opens this needle and thread business and it also fails in one year. And so he decides that he's going to invest in another dry goods store. And I don't know how he got the money to do that, but somehow he finds a way and he fails at that too. Man, at what point did him and his brother make it over to California? So that would have been in 1850. In 1850, his brother, um, his name was Charles. Right, him and Charles. Yeah, him and Charles, they go to California. They hear about the gold rush. The gold rush. And their plan is they're going to be the supply guys. The supply guys We don't have to be mining, but we will be the supply guys. They'll buy the goods from us and we'll get rich. Yes. So they borrow big... Get all the money they can together. 
yes, and then they put they and they go. They go into San Francisco. They buy all the supplies well, they start, that they could. Yeah, they, you're right. And then they go to Yuba City. I remember yes. this in my research because I was born in Yuba City. Oh, wow. Okay. So they're in Yuba City making their way to Marysville. Yes. And they decide to ford the river with all their donkeys and all their supplies. That's right. So they're going to ford the uh, Feather River. And so 1850, they're fording this river. The problem is, is Roland, who they, they commonly called R.H., and we'll refer to him to you know, this afternoon as R.H. Macy. Yeah. Yes. So R.H., even though he had been on a ship for four years, could not swim. So he's holding on to this lead, the lead mule that they had purchased. He's holding on to his neck frantically as they go to cross this frothing river. And he's, he, he can't hardly get across. And so... Well, yeah, he can't swim. He's going to die. He's going to die, basically. <laughs> and, and the other crazy part about it is don't forget... They've put every cent that they have. Yeah, all the money they borrowed, all their life savings is spent on these goods. Yes, and they're counting that them are loaded on river. these mules. Mm-hmm. And so they're they're crossing this this river. He's hanging on to the mule. The mule butts him in the head. He's you know tasting blood in his mouth. He's realizing I can't swim, and so he starts screaming out, "Help me! I, I'm I can't make it. I don't know what I'm going to do." And his brother's standing on the other side, basically saying. Don't be a disgrace to the family. Come on, you got if you made it in the South Pacific, you can you can surely make it across a river. And so there's this this desire to live and and somehow he gets across the river without losing it all. He makes it barely. And uh, the, the the sad part is there there was one yeah, once one, they get to the the camp which where was this at it was so they go from Yuba City Marysville they're they going to Marysville. Marysville well but there's one mule that dies oh in this, yeah they do in, lose a mule they lose yeah. a mule and yeah so they get to Marysville and they realize that when they got to Marysville they got there too late there was a bunch of other suppliers that were supplying the 49er uh, miners. And so oh, all those life savings, all the life savings, this business venture is a total fail and they're completely wiped out yeah, three months only, later. Yeah, only three months. Wow. Yeah. Man, so, I mean, this guy is, what is he, 20 he something years failure old? Failure after failure. He and can't he's already, seem to make it. Yeah, he's already failed four times in business. Man. And so Charles, his brother, decides he's going to stay out west. And R.H. goes back to Boston. Mm-hmm. His family, that's where his family gives him that small loan. He starts another dry goods store in a place called Haverville, um, Massachusetts. Yeah, and I like how I love his business practices. He has. I like how he um, he has these really neat. Why don't you expound on those? Because yeah, because I, I think they're interesting as well. So first of all, he has no um, discrimination. So he has a one price policy for all residents, plainsmen, traders, and Indians. And then the Indians really like that because they're used to people trying to get lower prices for their pelts and things they bring in because they're Native American and people discriminate against them. But he didn't. He didn't discriminate against anybody because he was a Jewish immigrant himself. Mm. So he knew what it was like to receive immigration, so he sure wasn't going to give it. And another motto he had was no haggling. The price you see is the price you pay. Okay. This was entrenched in his business model and would stay the Macy's business model for years to come the other, decades the, even the other interesting part about that was it was a payment in full his oh yeah motto was he wouldn't take in, credit exactly which was a huge thing so in this time period it was there was a lot laying on someone's reputation so 
you would vouch for somebody, and when you would vouch somebody, they knew you for several years, and when you would vouch for someone, they'd say, hey, this guy's good, he pays his debts. Okay, cool. And that was your credit, was word of mouth and, and you reputation. Ha- you have to think of the you lack of, of you know cash availability at that time. Right. So they would live on total credit um, with the stores, et cetera. Yeah, um, every, it was a every store agreement. had yeah. a had a line of credit for different guys. They all knew each other's names, a small town, yeah. Yeah, so his but his motto was quote payment in full in cash un, uh, unquote. And that was unusual. And and so then he Yeah, so he's finally successful with this new business model. He actually makes a lot of retail business and makes so much money that he's able to in, in 1863 move to Manhattan and he takes his store with him. And that's when he hires Margaret, mm. right? Margaret's his distant cousin. Is that? Yes. Aren't they related? They are related. Yep. Distant yeah, cousin. So Margaret is quite the character because she is a very smart, turns out to be a very smart businesswoman. When he sees how smart she is with business, he goes ahead and promotes her to to manage more. Mm-hmm. And like she was like a bookkeeper or something. Yeah, she was a bookkeeper. Yes. Then he made her in charge of a bunch of, of all the advertising. Yeah. And, and you know what's, speaking of advertising, they were spending... Um, at that point, three percent of their annual revenue on advertising, which was unheard of at that time. Um, so, the, just interesting. He was kind of ahead of his time when it came to marketing and advertising. Well, yeah, and he landed Margaret, which was a really good copywriter. She was able to come up with really good phrases that uh, caught people's attention. Yes, especially the ladies at that time. She was a lady, obviously, so she knew how to appeal to the to the women. When they were buying vests for the kids and needle and thread, and she knew what to write. Hey, we got this for fifty cents, and uh, she's a good marketer. One of her, one of my favorite stories from this is when she has those kittens. Oh yes, tell this. Oh, this is my awesome. Goodness. So this is this is what t- what year is this? Eighteen sixty three. This would have been. She hatches this plan before the turn of the nineteenth century. She gets these kittens. And she puts them in little doll dresses. Aww. And she says, oh, these are going to be so cute. Yeah, I'm going to put kitty. them in doll dresses and we'll set them up in the store. People will love it because they're so adorable. And this so was adorable. around Christmas time. Right. Okay. But she couldn't She couldn't get the kittens to calm down. She's trying to give them sardines. She put them in the dresses and then give them sardines as, as like a reward. Like, here, if you wear the dress, you get to have a sardine. <laughs> but the kittens weren't having it. They were still going crazy fussing and yeah. biting at the dresses so finally she gets an idea she says you know what i'm gonna do she asked rh macy say hey do you have some wine or whatever he had he's like oh what do you need what oh he realizes what she wants to do and he says, i got a better idea so he goes and grabs some eggnog puts it in a she puts it in an eyedropper and just force feeds the kittens <laughs> eggnog and the kittens are so drunk that they can barely stay awake so that, now they're just laying around in these. Yeah, now little, they're laying in these little cribs, aww. looking cute as buttons. Mm-hmm. But people don't realize they're drunker than skunks. But and, hey, it and, turned out to be a great marketing ploy so because she, she hired a photographer to take pictures of these things. And, and didn't she have this at the same time have like a local music teacher that was yeah. like playing playing yeah, she lullabies? Hired, she hired and stuff a like celloist that. to come into their store and play the cello while these kittens napped in their little doll dresses. So people would come and see the little kittens, hear the cello playing. They 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 knew how to set the stage and the and the ambience in the store to make it pleasant to be in there when mm. they were doing their shopping. And even wasn't the lines just for these um, photographs of these kittens was just they say it was just out the out the door pretty yeah, much. Yeah, a lot of people want to even, see the kittens. Even even P.T. Barnum actually came to see the kittens. I mean, that's they, right. There was yeah. a lot of celebrities. R. And H. Stuff Macy the time. was personal was good friends with P.T. Barnum. So that's and and that year, 
um, in just a, a few weeks span, they went from making a decent amount, but not overly great, to that year they closed out the year with a hundred thousand dollars in sales. Yeah, that's right. In eighteen sixty three, that was amazing amount of money. Yeah, at my inflation calculator, it doesn't even go that far back. No, no, that's. So okay, so that brings us to the year eighteen sixty four. Is that correct? Um, where basically, you know, um, R H Senior is realizing, hey, I need to start preparing a succession plan. Mm-hmm. And, but he only has one son. Yes, and so he's trying to figure out who am I? What am I going to do? And so he employs his son. But his son hates it, and his son only works just a few days. Yeah, his son is very hard-headed, doesn't want to listen to his dad, Yeah, doesn't want to obey anything he has to say. And so doesn't he run off? Yeah, and runs he, off. he runs off, and he joins the Union Army. That's right. Um, because remember, we're in the middle of the Civil War. Mm-hmm. Okay, folks, I don't know if you're paying attention, but we've already had the tattoo. Now we've got the Civil War. And so in the Civil War, he joins the Union Army, and he's there, and... While he is... Nine days into his volunteering. Yes, he decides the army life is not for him. So he didn't want to work for his dad. He doesn't want to work in the army. Hates the army. He hates the army to the fact to the point that he deserts mm. in, in the army. Now, he, he deserts the Union Army. He runs out. He doesn't bathe. He's gone. Remember, for, the punishment for desertion at this time is firing squad. It's pretty bad. It can be really bad. Yeah, it was either flogging. They branded you with an actual like cattle mm-hmm. brand or the firing squad. Man. That was your three choices. And so he runs out knowing all of that. And his dad gets word of this and is just devastated because well, remember, yeah, his, his only heir, the guy, his son, who he wants to take over the store for him, the someone to hand it off to, is messing it all up. And 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 not only that, but ruining his reputation and retail businesses oh, at that yeah, time. That's right. Was all based on reputation. Yes, so much was based on reputation. Yeah, and so he's he's finally caught after several weeks. Um, these detectives were sent, and they caught. R.H. Jr., Roland Jr. And so he's locked up, and his dad is devastated, and he's trying to figure out what to do. And we're skipping through a whole bunch, but... Well, yeah, one day, you know, several, a long while later, his dad receives a letter. And the letter says, you know, Dear Mr. Macy, your son has been sentenced to serve in the 106th Regiment, unpaid, Hmm. which is actually a really light... Sentence yeah, very light. Yes, the time he says, I can tell you that he has always conducted himself with much propriety and has exhibited uh, propriety in battle and in campaign. And I have petitioned the court to have his record cleared, and they have agreed. I will look over your son to ensure he is worthy of the court's clemency. In your service, Captain A. Bell LaForge. Okay, tell us a little bit more about Mr. LaForge. So Mr. LaForge writes this letter to Mr. Macy, and Macy is so happy that he writes a letter back to Captain Forge and says, man, I'm so happy that my son is turning things around. He got his record cleared. That's amazing. And they start this back and forth, and they become friends. Oh, okay. They continue to write letters until the end of the war. All right. Several years later. So um, they're they're writing letters. The the war lasted for two more years after that. Two more years. Okay, so that brings us to 1865. That's right. The the war war is over. Yes. And so... So LaForge, because he's friends with Macy, 
he actually moves to Massachusetts because that's where Macy's at now, right? It's Massachusetts. Man- Manhattan. Okay, Manhattan. He goes yes. to Manhattan. So he moves to Manhattan and then starts working for R.H. Macy. Oh. So working for R.H. Macy, he notices Margaret, mm. the, the smart sales lady, and then they get married, Captain Forge and Miss Margaret. Okay, so they ended up marrying. Yes. And by this time, she's like the... She's the superintendent. She's or the right hand man, so to speak. Whatever. You know? okay. yeah. And wasn't she one of the first women executives? She was. Yeah, as far as I can tell, the first women executive in business. Yes, that's that's amazing. So um, at the same time, while all of this is going on, um, you have the war in the South and everything happening with that. There was a man by the name of Lazarus Strauss, mm-hmm. and Lazarus Strauss. Um, did, did you do any research on him, or, or do you have do you have any notes? Uh, anything you'd like to share on that? No, just the uh, just the battle he fought in, which I'm sure you know about. Do you want to talk about that? Yes, yeah, like, yeah, no, I can uh, I can talk a so little bit about that. Um, eight, his backstory is that 1865. That battle was taking place in the Civil War. Okay, so so during that, let, let's talk a little bit. This is the last battle of the Civil War, and at this particular point, this is in Columbia, Georgia. Mm-hmm. This um, the surrender at Appomattox had already been signed by Robert E. Lee, but the they um, the word. word had not got down to Georgia yet. And so it's 1865. The war is, is over already, but the Union soldiers are crossing this bridge, and they're going to be moving in on Columbia. And as they go to move in, these Union soldiers, they're looting stores they're they're just making havoc basically of the city of Columbia but what's this is amazing this is so cool this ties in to another episode oh yeah one that of our earlier you will episodes want to talk or listen to if you haven't listened to it already and that episode is called Cola and the reason why you'll want to listen to it is because while this Lazarus Strauss is in Columbia Georgia 1865 he was a storekeeper at the same time, Dr. In the same place. The same exact spot. Same battle. John, Dr. John Pemberton, who would one day be the founder of Coca-Cola. It's at the same bridge Man. where the Union soldiers are crossing that John Pemberton gets shot and bayoneted. And like I said, eventually he would start Coca-Cola. What a connection. But at the same time, Lazarus Strauss is a storekeeper Mm -hmm. in the same city at the same bridge. And so um, he goes out. These these Union soldiers are looting. He goes out one night, and he realizes that they have completely destroyed his store. And so he's going to have to start over. But this guy had a bunch of sons as well. I think he had seven or eight sons. Um, I could be wrong on that, but he had he had a bunch of sons, and he decides that him and his sons are going to start over, and they are going to survive this. So even though he's in the deep south, yeah, they actually loot and burn his store down. Yeah, it's completely gone. He yeah. loses everything, and and yet at the same time, he says we are going to start a glass factory, and so they they start um, making china and glass and different artifacts like that Mm -hmm. and become very successful. In 1866, he walks into New York and he pays off all of his debt because he had also started cotton farming. But he pays off all of his debt and he was, at that time, the only Confederate trader. Um, T. 
T-R-A-D-E-R, the Confederate trader. Yeah, tradesman. Tradesman that paid his debt to these particular people in New York. And they, oh, yeah, because he's from the South, and they were at odds. Yeah, that's crazy. So yes. he goes and pays his debts he, to someone they were just in war with. So they had written him off as wartime losses. Like, oh, yes. these were traders, tradesmen from the South. We're probably never going to see that money. And they didn't from anybody that, except, except for Lazarus. Lazarus Strauss. And so he ends up renting a, the basement of R.H. Macy Sr.'s store. Wow. And that so moment. So the basement of a Macy's, they're the, selling their glassware their, and their, their china. The china. Yeah. Yes. And that move right there would be huge. So Roland Macy Jr., after he is, um, you know, dispersed from the Army and all of that, we talked about Captain Forge, Roland Macy Jr. disappears. Mm, that's right. They can't find him. They don't know where he's at. And so his dad doesn't know what to do. That's right. So. And so he decides because of this, I've got to create a will. And so he creates a will and he gives um, ownership supervision to Margaret and Captain Forge. Remember, they are now married. Margaret and LaForge are married. Right. And so he. So Forge is like his adopted son that he never had because his son wasn't around. That's right. Even after the war. Yes. And so they, he writes this. He got clemency, but he never came back around. He never came back around. And so they, they, um, he writes this will, and then he leaves to go on a buying trip in Paris right after that. It was almost like he had a premonition because right after that, he leaves to Paris on a buying trip. And while he's in, on a buying trip, R.H. Macy Sr. falls over dead. Oh, man. He was only 54 years old. And so, um, they, so that leaves the business to LaForge and Margaret. And Margaret, and just just a um, just a few months later, Roland Jr. is found dead. He had drunk himself to death oh, in a motel or hotel um, place in in, in Boston. Uh, in Boston, that is tragic. So, and and then, so, I mean, this story is just froth with tragedy because two years later. Captain Forge, mm-hmm. who's the managing partner, right, the, new, the new owner of Macy's. That's right. He dies of tuberculosis. Oh my goodness! And so Margaret is just distraught. She's got three kids. She she right. can't run this business like she always has. Well, everybody's dying. That's it. So she sells it to another one of R. H. Macy's cousins, who also dies. And so within a matter of two years. They had lost close to ten people to to tragic. Yeah, four deaths. different owners had just died. Four different owners. Yes, oh it's a, it's crazy. So, um, thirteen years after signing the lease of R. H. Macy's basement, Lazarus Strauss. Oh, the Strausses are back. He's back, and he is able to buy the department store. So not only is he wow, not business just in, must have been really it must good. have been really good because now he's not just in the basement selling his now China. he owns Macy's now he owns it him and his sons, and so thirteen years after Lazarus Strauss signs this lease to lease the basement of Macy's things are growing and booming things are booming they're and purchasing he, adjacent stores and they keep adding to their stores he buys stores. Macy's out oh he buys Macy's 
And now he now is, they add to now the they own not only the china and the glassware, but now they own the department store Macy's. And um, things are going really well because this is the twenties, right? The roaring twenties. The so roaring twenties. Pe- yes, people are spending money like crazy for retail. And that's a perfect time for this giant department store to be in business. So they buy adjacent stores. They they grow exponentially to the point where it gets so complicated to find something because they're buying separate stores just for the men's coats. The men's coats go out this door, go down the street, past three <laughs> buildings on the left. There's the men's section right there. I'm just looking for pocket watches. Oh, pocket watches, other side of the street. <laughs> you know, it was crazy. That is crazy. And, and by this time... Um, his two sons, Lazarus Strauss' two sons, two of his sons, have taken over the business now. So Isidore Strauss and his brother, his younger brother Nathan, and so, so now they're in charge. Now they're in charge, and they decide to build this new building. And so in the late yeah, keep everything in one building. Yes, and so in the late 1800s, early 1900s, they build this new building in this place called Herald Square. And at that time, think about it, it employed. 4,000 workers inside the store once it was completed. That's Man. not to build it. That's once it was completed. 4,000 employees. 4,000 employees. It had its own fire station. That's how big this place was. And it cost at that time $4 million to wow. build. Yes. Yes. Pretty, pretty That's amazing. That's insane. So around this same time, one of their competitors – uh, Bernie Gimble. Bernie Gimble opens up this giant store. I don't know. It's unclear where he gets his money from, but he opens up this giant store to compete with Macy's. He opens up right next door to them. He spends $17 million Ooh. on a 10-story emporium with a million square feet. He has 7,000 employees. That's unreal. So at this time, Macy still has their great sales gimmicks with their lower price. If you pay cash only, we get 7% off. They, they're still doing that deal. So even though they're a smaller store, they're still really competitive, competitive with Gimbal. Okay, so they're, they're, everything's rocking along. And we we come to a time in the story, and it's in April. But these guys become friends, the owner of Gimbal and Macy's. They're friends. They're friends. The okay. new uh, owner, I think it's Isidore at this Isidore, time. Isidore, okay. So Isidore and his wife, Ida, they had been married for 40 years. At this point, they're 67 years old. Mm-hmm. The year is 1912. And they, they're, they're just loaded with money. They're loaded with money, and they decide that they're going to go to Europe. They go to Europe. They stay in Europe for a little while. And then they decide, hey, we need to get back. And so they board a ship. The date is April 14th, 1912. They're traveling. They're enjoying themselves, eating, talking, Your cadence is frightening. Okay. The way, the year. (laughs) Okay. So everything's great, hunky-dory. It's great, hunky-dory. And then all of a sudden, they they go to bed. It's 10 o'clock at night. And then April 15th, 1912, they're awoken in the middle of the night by this jolt. Mind you, they're sleeping, and all of a sudden, crash, bang, boom, whatever it is. Oh, boy. And they wake up, and when they wake up by this jolt, they get up, they get dressed, and they walk to the upper deck, and they are standing on this ship. The ship was the Titanic. 
Oh, that's unfortunate. And so they're standing there in this line. It's 1 a.m. The band is still playing. The orchestra, the ship's orchestra is still playing their songs. They're unaware. They're unaware of, they, they don't realize how desperate this thing is. Oh, the show must go on, this, fellas. That's exactly it. And so they're standing in line, and they're in line for lifeboat number eight. And while they're standing there, Ida finally gets to the front of the line with her husband, Isidore, and their maid. And they get there, and the maid gets in, and then Ida boards lifeboat number eight. And then she looks back and realizes that all of the men, most of the men, were not joining in the lifeboats. They didn't feel they needed to let, because they didn't have enough lifeboats on the Titanic. And so they were letting all of the women go first. And so when she turns and she realizes that Isidore is not going to board this lifeboat number eight, she gets out. She turns to her maid. She hands her her fur coat. She says, here, you'll need this more than I will. She gets out of the lifeboat. And the last time that they would ever see them, the lifeboat takes off. And when the maid looked back, standing on a listing deck, holding onto the rail, was Isidore and Ida, husband and wife for 40 years, in an embrace and that was the last they ever seen of Isidore and Ida Strauss. Oh my goodness! Yes, and, and this so, is on the heels of this Macy's, where those the four owners died. The four owners had died. So much tragedy in Macy's. So much tragedy, and and what's even sadder is only thirty nine passengers on this lifeboat eight. Serve our um. There was only thirty nine passengers. It was only half full, so they could have boarded. They could have made it. They could have been fine. Oh, maybe they thought there was more. Oh, I don't know. They yeah. they knew there were no more boats actually because they just stood there, hugged each other until they sank. That's, oh man. Yeah. So I know uh, that that took a turn for <clears throat> for heaviness, but but it's just amazing story of how much tragedy and yet perseverance and power that that Macy's had a, had accomplished in less than a century. Yeah. So. Back to Manhattan, okay. where they, you have um, the two competing stores. You have Gimbel's and Macy's. 1923, Bert, Bernie and Horace Sachs. Horace is 41 years old. He has a store next to Macy's. He partners with the new owner of Macy's. Okay. And they open up this new store called Sachs Fifth Avenue mm-hmm. on Fifth Avenue. Okay. Yeah. So this new store is more luxury, a lot higher class, and that goes really well. Things are going really well for Mr. Lee Gimbel. Lee is the fourth generation of Gimbel and these this luxury Gimbel brand that now owns Saks Fifth Avenue. Mm-hmm. Well, 1929 hits and the stock market crashes. Ooh. So Lee loses a lot of money and it's very sad. He then commits suicide. How old was he? He was... Pretty young. He was only like 27. Oh, wow. Okay, so he commits suicide, and he's he's gone. Who's who's running the store? What, I mean, does, is there? So there's, now it's Fred and Bernie Gimbel that own the, the Gimbel store, and this is the one thing, one point I wanted to make about Gimbel. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're a competitor of Macy's, but they'd make this really smart move, which makes them quite the content, contender for Macy's. So Macy is a genius to this day, even in the 20s, through the Depression, with their sales tactics and their really smart um, slogans that keep people coming in. What Gimbal decides to do is Fred convinces the, the, the real owner 
to, hey, man, you need to borrow money as much as you can and stockpile goods because this war that's going on, I Uh think the U.S. is going to get involved. And if the U.S. does get involved, a lot of items are going to be really scarce and we're going to need them for the wartime. So now we're talking about World War II. We're talking about the 1930s. Okay. Yes, it's 1930. So it's 1939. Fred convinces Bernie Gimbel to borrow $20 million in this in 1939 and they purchase all the rubber metal silk and nylon they can because they know silk and nylon is needed for parachutes and the the war the military is going to be taking the majority of it ration it okay so um, so it was a pretty good call because december 7th 1941 just two years later we know what happened yes the the attack on pearl Pearl Harbor, harbor yes and then they declared war right afterward after they attacked okay and how long into the war did did they start rationing their stockpile? Well, they rationed almost immediately. Okay, because they needed you know we war started right, so mm-hmm. uh, the priority went to the government for nylon and silk. So stores were having an extremely hard time getting stock, but because Gimbel stocked up twenty million dollars worth throughout the entire war, they had plenty of silk and nylon for. Oh. All their customers. All their customers. So they kind of, when nobody else had it, they they were the go-to place. Yes. And it didn't matter how smart Macy was at this point with their sales marketing and whatnot because they were just out of stock and they couldn't compete with the gimbal stock. Hmm. So extremely good call by Fred Gimbal to stock up on all those goods. So Gimbal took a gamble. Yes. And they won and out. they won out. Wow. Okay. So um, they became the go-to place. What, what else have you researched? Well, then Gimbal gets bought out by this other company, and then they close out Gimbal completely, and they just keep Saks Fifth Avenue, which there's still Saks Fifth Avenue around today. Yes, uh, yes, I've been to one, yeah. Yeah, they're they're around. But yeah, that was the end of that, and Macy's, we know Macy's today is was going really strong until uh, online shopping took a downer on them. But one thing we haven't talked about was J.C. Penney. Ooh, yeah, So Let's around the it. same time period, J.C. Penney... This guy, he was born in 1875 in Hamilton, Missouri. Okay. When he was young, he started working for this, um, these people, the small chain store. And the owners were so pleased with his work ethic and saw how young this young, this young teenager was just always showing up, showing like he was really responsible, never called in sick. He was coming up with sales ideas and signs. And they said, you know what? You, why don't you start our third store for us because we have two stores this was this was an older couple that owned two stores okay they said we will partner with you and you can have the third store you can head up the new store so he agrees mm. so he invests two thousand of his own dollars which he saved up because he was a responsible young man he didn't borrow this money or inherit it he okay. worked for it starts this third small chain store and then a couple years later he's doing very well managing his own running his own store well the old couple that had a partnership with him, dissolved their partnership. And when they did, he had made so much money running his third store that he turned around and bought the other two stores. Oh, wow. So he owned three stores now, and he's barely in his 20s. Oh, my goodness. What Do you have any idea what it, year this, this would is have been 18, By 1898, he was, um, is when he started working. And in 1902 is when he invested the $2,000. And then by 1912, or actually 1913, he already had 34 stores opened. Oh, wow. Wow. So it was moving along very quick. Yes. And then he moves to Salt Lake City, and that's when he incorporates J.C. Penney Company. J.C. Penney. All right. And he began to expand to Mississippi, and and he just grew exponentially. 
And this guy, this guy. So same thing. The 20s happen, and things go very well for him. Mm-hmm. But then 1929 happens, and the stock Ooh. market crashes. Okay. So Penny virtually loses everything. So not only his wealth, but he's starting. He's thinking he's going crazy mm-hmm. because everything he is known to be real, all the comforts, all of his business is all taken from him. So he thinks he's going insane because there's no foundation in his life. So he checks himself into a sanitarium. But okay. not just any sanitarium, one we've talked about here before, Don. Are you serious? The Battle Creek Sanitarium. Oh, oh, oh man, we just talked about this last yes. week. So if you listen to our serial episode, you'll know this this sanitarium. Well, while he's at the sanitarium, he hears him play this hymn, and the hymn is God will take care of you. So he becomes, he listens to that hymn, and he believes it, and he becomes a born-again Christian. Oh, and wow. he is a just sold out Christian, right? So he goes and he starts paying tithe, which is a tenth of your income, which belongs to God, according uh-huh. to what the Bible teaches. Well, not only that, he starts paying 90% tithe oh my goodness. to the church. Wow. And he is extremely successful. He may, goes back. He doesn't own Macy's anymore, but now he's managing several Pennies. of them. Or yeah. Pen, sorry. Yes. No, it's all good. Got conflated there because yes. we're talking about Macy's. But Penny's goes back to manage um, his stores and they grow and they're huge and they were contending with Macy's up until online shopping is and they have a large online shopping presence to this day but it's just an incredible story it, it is it's amazing to me how these department stores are so connected and now there is a little bit of a tidbit about JC Penny okay and that is there's another massive what we would call a chain store or a department store that has got great ties to J.C. Penney. Oh, I don't know. I re- what is it? Okay, and that is Mr. Sam Walton. Oh no, I do know that. Okay, so so I forgot to mention uh, mention J.C. Penney when he was own when he owned these stores. He trained this young teenager some of his secrets. And he's like, man, you, you you work, you remind me of me when I was a young kid. So he's showing Mr. Walton all of his little tricks of the trade. Uh-huh. And Mr. Walton was a good learner because 20 years later, Walton founded the first Walmart. Walmart. And now his children are some of the richest yeah, in the world. The largest chain in America. In America and, and probably close to you know the largest yeah. chain in the world. Mr. J.C. Penny trained that guy. That's amazing. So I mean, Ta- taught him everything he knew. It's it's so crazy to me how, for the time, you know, Macy's and Gimbel's, Saks Fifth Avenue, um, J.C. Penny, Coca Cola. Yeah, they're all connected. What's crazy I, is how this they connect with the Battle Creek Sanitarium ties into the, the cereal, cereal episode we just talked about. It's just all Man. these things, and then you add in Walmart. They're all connected somehow. Yeah, and it just the people are connected, the people which is are, crazy. Yes, and and so, um, and really, I guess that relates to it shows you that success kind of breeds success. In that, well, successful there's a couple, people. A couple takes away takeaways here. Not only that, but R. H. Macy failed several times. Yes. before he succeeded. Yes. Right? he had all those failed ventures. He failed in in. Uh, dry goods many times over before he came up with the slogan treating all people people equal and no bargaining he tried the gold rush he invested all of his money in that he he invested all of his money several times yes. and failed until he was finally successful with that what was it his fifth try something like that yes 
It, it's, but J.C. Penney, he was pretty successful from the get-go. He his, was. His only crash was in the Great Depression. And it, and but there again, he had had two mentors that really seemed to help him um, kind of get on his feet and and teach him. So what, what are your takeaway? Mentors are important. I think mentors continuing are, to persevere in the face of failure is important. Most definitely, I think that um, having having mentors is is extremely important, especially in business, really in life. And then having the will to win that you can knock me down, but you can't knock me out. I think I think all of those are are extremely um, important characteristics in business for sure, and really in life. Well. That's all I got, Don. Do you have any more? No, I don't have any more on. That's about on, all I can handle. Yeah. My goodness, this was twisty. <laughs> it was, it was twisty. dramatic and sad, and then pretty awesome with uh, Mr. Penny and trained in Sam Walton. Yes, I, I would like to um, kind of go off topic for just a second, and uh, we would both like to say to all of our first responders and medical staff who are working right now with the COVID nineteen coronavirus issue, uh, we want to say how much we salute you how much we appreciate all the time, effort, energy that you are putting in to help keep us safe. And uh, so we wanted to give a shout out to all of our medical uh, workers, responders. And if you know a medical responder or a medical uh, technician of any sort, uh, we invite you to please uh, shout out to them in a review um, down below. Because we really do yeah, want to Yeah, we want to hear them. from you. We want to hear from everybody. In fact, we have a new email address for you guys to reach us at. It's called thegabblepodcast at gmail.com. That's T-H-E-G-A-B-L podcast at gmail.com. We want to hear from you. If you have any show suggestions, we'd love to hear from you or just any whatever you got for us. And then don't forget to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Yes. That's that's so important, and we're yeah. already. Don't to, forget to subscribe on wherever you're listening to. We're on Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn. Tune in. Yeah. Yes, and and we're already starting to get emails with suggestions to our to our email, and we we appreciate it, and we read all the feedback that we get. Yeah, and we are working on a lot of things right now, so stay tuned for future episodes. Thanks for listening, everybody. Adios. Hey guys, real quick, we had a fact checked error. I I said that R H Macy was a Jewish immigrant. That was incorrect. It was actually Mr. Gimbel, the first Gimbel, the founder of Gimbel's, that was the Jewish immigrant, not R.H. Macy's. Sorry about that. We'll do our best to keep our facts straight going forward, and we appreciate everything you got for us. Thank you, guys.